welcome to another episode of Sleep Whispers. I'm Harris, and this is my curious little podcast of whispered ramblings and whispered readings, which I hope will help you to relax and fall asleep. episode, which means I've taken some specific sections from older episodes and I've bundled them together into this episode. If you're interested in accessing all the old episodes, bonus episodes, videos, or photos, then you can show notes of this episode, or just go to my website at sleepwhispers.com. Now, before I open this antique box of (laughs) dusty whispers, let me tell you about Sleep Phones, the sponsor of this episode. You probably listen to this podcast for relaxation, and comfort, so you don't want bulky headphones or painful earbuds ruining that for you. Sleep phones are headphones that are like gentle pajamas for your ears. They have flat speakers in a soft, stretchy headband, which allows you to lie comfortably in bed while listening to my whispers. And even if you fall asleep on your side, sleep phones were created by a doctor to be the most comfortable headphones for sleeping. And they come in corded and wireless versions. For a limited time, you can save $5.00 on the top four sleep foam models with the coupon code WHISPERS. Just go to sleepphones.com or use the link in my show notes to get your cozy sleep phones today. Alright, now for a batch of finely aged whispers. I hope you enjoy them. The curious quote for tonight is by Flora Koloa, and it is if we appreciate and respect the children that we were, the spirit of the child within each of us can emerge. I think I've always liked quotes about inner children or our inner child or 
my inner child. Probably, 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 probably. <laughs> Alright, I'm already getting silly stupid. Now I'm going to say the word again. I'm just going to get myself giggling. Most likely because it's like confirmation to me that other people feel their inner child. Because I, I definitely still feel the spirit of my child, my inner child, my younger me, inside me or within me. Inside me sounds like a tumor. Within me sounds a bit more healthy. Yeah, so within me. Although I'm not always 100% confident that it is healthy. Well, I think I do feel it's healthy. It's just that it has um, positives and negatives to it. You know, good and bad. Like the good, the good parts of my inner child are my curiosity. I'm always curious about things, the origin of things, why things are, how things are. My mind just gobbles it up. Uh, I'm kind of easily amused, <laughs> kind of the way a child is. I just, I find amusement in a lot of situations. Not so much humor, like I'm laughing at something, but finding a, a lightness of joy, that kind of amusement. And I still enjoy playing games. You know, like, if you go to a social gathering at someone's house, and Everyone's milling around, chit-chatting. And then someone suggests, Hey, does anyone want to play a game? I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> me, 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 me. Then I'll visit people and they have children. And I'll enjoy like, playing with the children whether it's tag outside or it's hide-and-go-seek. Like I still find that fun. And I like that I find that fun. Alright, for the, the bad parts or the negative aspects of this strong sense I have of my inner child is I, I get easily bored. So yes, I'm kind of easily amused, but 
feel kind of like a child sometimes. I feel like, I feel a need to be amused. I feel, I feel discontent at a situation that doesn't stimulate me somehow. And that's, that's not a good thing because life is much more complex and there are many important and appropriate situations where the proper thing to do is to be still, be quiet, and just be in the moment of whatever that moment is. And that can be a challenge for me. Um, I, I get easily distracted. That's another bad part of my inner child. You know, like the, you know, the shiny object syndrome or the something new and exciting rather than doing what I should be doing all the time. Now I know I should be working on this, but oh, look over here. I feel like that happens a lot and I don't think that happens to others as much as to me. And another downside is impatience. When I'm hungry, I'm ready to eat. I don't want to get into my car and drive to a restaurant and then wait to be seated, and then wait to order, and then wait for my food to be cooked and brought to me. When I'm hungry, I'm ready to eat. Hello, microwave. Which is just dumb impatience. Anyway, I, I feel very still strongly connected to, the, to my inner child, and I can vividly recall my childhood memories and feelings and thoughts. Emotions. Well, emotions are kind of the same as feelings. I think I got redundant. My feelings and thoughts. And for the most part, a lot of times I don't I I don't feel like I feel a lot more different than I felt when I was much younger. 
it just seems that I've learned how to be more like an adult on the outside. And maybe that's just the way it is. Like maybe that's just that's just called growing up where we learn how to be courteous and polite and how to talk appropriately and run a meeting appropriately and interact in a society in a way that is mutually beneficial to everyone. Oh, that's a, that's a big, long, deep definition of adulthood. But I don't know if everyone feels that way. I, I don't know if most people feel that way. Sometimes I try to imagine what someone else was like as a child. And I, I can't. Like, if the person is, um, if they have a really negative disposition, you know, or they're just very serious all the time, And it just makes me think, you know, what were they like as a kid? Like, there's no way. Like, they were eight years old on a playground, just standing on the corner of the playground with their arms crossed and having such a negative disposition for their entire childhood. I mean, all children have moments like that, and so do adults. But, I'm sure they weren't that way. I'm sure they were more like a typical child. And I just know that even if this is a person, as an adult, that I don't get along with them because of their personality or their disposition or their philosophy or their politics. I mean, it can be so many reasons why I don't feel like I connect with that person and I may not admire that person or feel a strong likeness for that person. I still feel that somehow I would like their child self. You know, like if I went back in a time machine and I just hung out with them and they were like 10 years old, I bet you they're just like a typical kid, you know, with the highs and lows of childhood, 
but I mean, most kids are just so likable. And I bet they were, you know, they were silly the way children are and endearing. You know, children are just so endearing even when they're having a negative moment. It still can be endearing. It's like, oh, you know, you're just, you're just learning how to deal with those emotions. And I have so much more patience and understanding for children. And I don't know why I can't always have that patience and understanding with adults. I try and thinking about their inner child really helps me in situations because when I'm in a situation with another adult and there's something that just feels difficult in the interaction with that person. I imagine that the child version of them is sitting right next to them or standing right next to them. You know, just a, a cute, innocent, well-intended child. the situation so much easier to deal with because my inner child is always with me and if I try to picture their inner child then the situation becomes two little kids are interacting. Have you ever seen when like two kids interact for the first time? It's it's a little bit awkward. And they're unsure of each other. But you can just see it in their faces and their the emotions that they they just wanna play together and have fun. And that's what I think all adults also ultimately want. But sometimes it's my own personality or someone else's personality that gets in the way of our our inner children just being able to enjoy the moment and have fun. say about that. Tonight's curious quote is from Nikki Giovanni, and it is, 
mistakes are a fact of life. It is the response to error that counts. To me, this quote has always been about knowing when to say sorry, which is not an easy thing for me to do. I think my ability to know when I am wrong is okay. as good as it could be, but I feel like I have an okay sense of that. But I am very confident that my ability to say sorry is quite poor and is something that has always needed improvement. And I know I should do it, but my ego and my pride make it hard, which is just stupid, because I, I can admit to myself when I've made a mistake, but there's just something about admitting it to someone else, which is so much harder. And that's just ridiculous because I always feel better. So when, I, when I've been able to not only admit I'm wrong and then and say I'm sorry, I it just always feels like a good thing. I've never I, it's, it's just I got myself in a like a a whirlpool of stupidity because I've never regretted saying I'm sorry, but I've regretted not saying I'm sorry. Like, so what's the logic of not saying sorry? There, there is none. Crazy. There was this one time when I was giving a presentation to a large audience. I had just, you know, said something. <laughs> of course, well, that's what happens during a presentation. But I had said something, and then someone in the audience raised their hand and I, I think they were trying to, you know, share some additional information on the topic. But what they 
offered was actually really, um, it was mostly, it was kind of outdated information on the topic. And I, I asked them right then, I said, uh, you know, where did you hear this? And the person in the audience responded, the Discovery Channel. And I immediately replied back to the person, are you sure it was not the Discovery Channel for kids? And everyone in the room laughed very hard. But they were laughing at this person in the audience. And I immediately felt horrible because I realized what I had done. And after the presentation was over, I immediately like, beelined for the person and I apologized. I admitted I, I should not have said that. And it was not appropriate for me to make that joke, and especially make a joke at their expense. And I'll never forget this person just looked me in the eye, and they said, you were being a, and I won't say the word, but it's another word for a mule. And I was, I was shocked at, at their bravado, but I, I really didn't flinch because that's, that was a very good description. And I just remember responding with, you are right, I was being a mule. And I remember that, that moment so vividly because I made this like vow to myself that I would be very careful about not using any kind of humor that would be at the expense of someone in the audience. I, I just knew at that moment that I disliked the feeling of hurting one person more than I liked the feeling of amusing a group of people. So I felt horrible that I did that. But I felt good that I apologized and I felt 
good that I kind of made that vow. Like it, it took an experience like that for me to learn about that. And I'm still not always perfect because it says the quote says mistakes are a fact of life and I agree with the quote that my self-worth should not come from not making mistakes, but rather my self-worth should come from how I respond to my mistakes. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to wrap it up. That's all I have to say about that. Tonight's curious quote is by Alice Collar, and it's from the book Stations of Solitude. And here's the quote. Sometimes, having a purpose that matters deeply to you can serve as a lightning rod to others. It can draw them to you to help you forward it. You have articulated some matter they cared about but did not know others cared about, or did not know that, or how the thing could be done. For me, this quote is about how others have inspired me to turn some of my thoughts and feelings into real actions. And I, I remember the, the first person in my life who deeply inspired me in this way. His name was Ryan, and I, I met him in college. We were both resident assistants, so RAs. So we were both RAs in a dorm. And so we were on this staff of a whole bunch of RAs for the dorm. And our direct supervisor was the assistant resident director, and his name was Amir, and all of us, like all, all of the RAs, we really loved Amir, 
and especially Ryan and I, we just thought we had the greatest boss in the world. He was just a, a, a really good supervisor, but also Amir was a really good person. And one day, Ryan and I and some of the other RAs, we found out that Amir was going to be fired. And I, I never really understood the reasons why it seemed very political. confusing. I talked to Amir about what was going on and why he was going to be fired. And again, I, I don't really understand and remember the why. I don't know if I understood it then, and I certainly don't remember it now. But what I remember is Amir was very sad and I just remember it also not being clear to him why they were trying to get rid of him. And it just felt Something unfortunate and unfair was happening to Amir, and I felt bad for him. And that would have been the end of it for me. Like, that's. That would have been the end of my role in that situation, except this is where Ryan comes into it, because Ryan didn't just feel bad for Amir, he was outraged, and he was just so upset not just at losing this great supervisor we had, but that the higher administration were treating Amir so unfairly. And it just seemed to be things that Ryan understood better than I did. I just remember him kind of going on and on about how it was an injustice and it was bureaucratic nonsense and there was abuse of power going on by other people and it was like a, he described it as a conspiracy against Amir that 
someone else was just taking advantage of this situation and getting rid of Amir somehow helped them. And I didn't really understand it. And in, in my, my memory, not, not really my memory, Here's the visual. I want you to picture, like, it's like a scene in a movie where, you know, Ryan is standing on a crate. You know, he, he, he never really stood on a crate, but this is how it felt. It was like he was standing on a crate and there were people standing around him and he was, you know, yelling about this injustice and that we, the people, you know, can't allow this to happen and that we must fight for Amir and we must fight for justice and he definitely kept using the word revolt and, revol and revolution. And that was the big difference between Ride and I was I had just settled to feeling bad for Amir, but Ryan wanted to do something. And it it did feel like the right thing to do, and I was very energized and motivated by Ryan. I remember he organized all these meetings with other RAs and with um, students who lived in the dorm and anyone that would provide some support or wanted some understanding. And he requested and organized meetings with the higher administration and ask them, you know, what's going on and why is Amir being fired? Ryan also got like articles written about it in the main campus newspaper and he, he even uh, had some of the smaller campus newspapers like, there were like ads, you know, but these smaller campus newspapers just, just ran them for free. And these ads were these like quarter of a page or half a page ads that just said two words, save Amir. And then he, he also convinced the, yeah, it was like the third floor, or maybe the fourth floor of our dorm, to each put a letter, a very large letter, in their dorm window, so that 
way when you walked up to the dorm. The entire, like, third or fourth floor spelled out, Save Amir. It was just so impressive. Like, his energy and how he put his feelings into actions. And every idea he came up with, I was willing to help him because he was a lightning rod. And I, I never would have been motivated to do anything like that on my own. The, the outcome or the ending is still unfortunate. Um, months later, this went on for several months, Amir was still fired or he was let go, or convinced to move on, like, again, I, it was so, as Ryan would say, bureaucratic, whether he was pressured out of his position, or he was fired, I don't, I didn't understand it then, I don't understand it now, I just remember that, Everyone understood that, you know, we basically lost, and there was a bunch of us sitting in a room with the mirror, and he confirmed that he was no longer going to be our supervisor. And that he would be moving on. And for the first time, he, he cried in front of us. And at, at first I thought he was crying because he was losing his job. explained he was crying because he appreciated how hard everyone fought for him. And for me, at that age, that was one of the most um, meaningful moments of my life because it was such a clear message I'd gotten through this whole process that it's not always about the win, it's about the fight. And Ryan just 
which so inspired me throughout the entire process. Move on.